Welcome to ABC, Abergavenny Baptist Church, building faith and friendship. Reading this morning is from John chapter 14, beginning to read at verse 15, titled Jesus Promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us? And not to the world. Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own, they belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray this morning you will open your word to our hearts and our hearts to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So here we have Jesus explaining to the disciples about the coming of the Holy Spirit. He's going to leave them in fleshly, bodily form so that the Holy Spirit can be poured out and can be present universally, whereas, of course, Jesus could only be present where he was in bodily form. And the Holy Spirit is perhaps the most mysterious of how we conventionally, traditionally, in Orthodox Christian theology, think about God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. And we can often be confused about the nature of the Holy Spirit. He is a person. He's not some kind of force, although... Sometimes we talk as though that's the case, but he is the person, the spirit of Jesus, the spirit of God, the means by which God imparts himself and Jesus becomes real to us in the present day. So let's have a look at this passage and uh, see what Jesus says about the Holy Spirit. The first thing is to actually try and understand the word that is used. Um, We have it as counsellor here in the NIV. Um, 
Other versions you probably will have seen use words like comforter, advocate, um, sometimes helper. Because the Greek word, which is most, uh, the way it's rendered in English is paraclete, um, doesn't really have an exact English translation. And in some ways, perhaps that's appropriate because there are always aspects of God that are mysterious. And in our attempts to put a language to it, to define things, um, we can only begin to approach uh, the reality that we're seeking to describe. And we can't ever really fully define uh, the nature of God because we're limited by our human finiteness. But I think... to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit um, most helpfully, the word helper, particularly in the context of this passage, is perhaps the one that is best to stick with. So that immediately begs the question, help to do what? What is it that the Holy Spirit helps to do and helps us to do? Well, we'll see some of that as we go through the passage, but I think we can say, He helps us to love and experience God. It's the nature of the Spirit's work within us to enable us in some mysterious way to experience himself within us, to form that relationship between him and us. Then he helps us to become more like Jesus as we allow the Spirit to work in our lives very gradually, step by step, three steps forward, 16 steps back, you know what it's like. Slowly, painfully perhaps, we become more like Jesus as we seek to walk with him. And then, of course, he helps us, most importantly, to show and tell God's love to the world. His ministry is about proclaiming and uplifting Jesus, the person of Jesus, revealing Jesus and the love of Jesus to the people in our fallen world. And we need always to remember that evidence of the work of the Spirit is shown by the fruit that he helps us to bear. The list is given in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These things show that the Spirit is at work. We may have dramatic experiences of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for those things when they occur. He may give us gifts so we can use ourselves, our our talents in the service of others in the church and in the world. And that's great. But supremely, the work of the Spirit is shown in the fruit that is born in our lives. And we cannot claim to be experiencing the Spirit unless that fruit is evident within us. So these are the things that the Spirit helps us produce as we trust and believe in him. So this is what Jesus is saying in verses 15 to 17. And then he says at the end of 17, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. So what does he mean here? He's not talking about creation. When John uses the term the world, uh, he means something quite different, which helpfully he defines quite precisely for us in his first 
letter. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. He says, do not love the world, it's the same term, or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, here we go, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, come not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So you see, what he's meaning by the world are what he summarizes there, what we could term as perhaps greed, lust, and pride, and other similar emotions, things which tend to lead us away from God and further into selfishness and rejection of God. So if we are bent on that kind of a course, then of course we won't be able to understand and accept the Holy Spirit because that's the way of selfishness and not the way of Jesus and the way of God. So that's what Jesus means as John describes his word here. The world cannot accept him. It's, it's the selfishness, the greed, the pride, the lust, the distortions of truth that we so easily find ourselves hankering after. And then there's another thing which I think perhaps we have to note living in our particular culture at this particular time. Uh, And that is that our current culture and society is very much dominated by a spirit of what we might call secularism. You'll be well aware of this, I'm sure, that uh, the things of God, the things of the spirit are not naturally part of the vocabulary and understanding of what you might call the mountains of our culture, the the media, uh, the big institutions, the way business is conducted, the way debate is conducted perhaps in parliament. It's a secular society which would tend not to recognize the reality of a spiritual world. And this is unusual, I have to tell you, as one who's been privileged to work in many countries of the world over the last 20 years. In most countries... There's no argument about spirituality. People know there's a spiritual universe with which they have to deal. That's true all over Africa and true over most of Asia. It's just in the materialistic countries of the northern and western uh, hemispheres that we are so determinedly secular. But I think there's a bit of a movement now to react against that. And people are searching for a spiritual reality. Sadly, they don't often come to church for it. Um, and we're perhaps to blame for that. But people do want something more than just the arid secularism that surrounds them in our culture. And the Holy Spirit is there ready to meet people, but we have to be ready to take those steps as well because it's through believers that mostly the Spirit makes himself known and makes Jesus known to others. So those two... Uh, meanings of the world, the, 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 ter- the term as rejection of God's way and uh, the secular atmosphere of our current society are what Jesus is talking about that don't recognize and don't accept the spirit. Got the steam rally going past the church just now. <laughs> 
So if we look ahead to the next few verses, 18 to 21, uh, Jesus talks about the spiritual unity of God with believers. And in this rather mysterious and circular way that John often writes, um, he says in verse 20, On that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. So he's trying to put words to the central mystery, if you like, of what we can now call Christian experience. If we have come to believe in Jesus and trust in him as our saviour, then there's this mysterious way in which we are united with God by his Holy Spirit. And we, we experience within ourselves something of the reality of God. Uh, we can't easily put words to this, but all of you who know Jesus as your saviour will, of course, recognise what this is talking about. And Paul refers to it in Romans chapter 8, And verses 14 to 17, he says, Because you who are led by the Spirit of God, that's the Holy Spirit, are sons of God, for you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Verse 16 there, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's what John is talking about. It's that experience of the Spirit testifying with our spirit. And through the years, the Christian mystics and indeed the mystics in other religious traditions have sought to enter fully into this experience of union with God. And it's very interesting to read their writings. And particularly interesting that mystics from other traditions other than Christian actually describe the same experience. Because God rewards all who genuinely reach out to him and seek him. Even if they don't know about Jesus, he is able to meet with them. But of course, God's plan is that we should all know and love Jesus Christ so we can be sure of our standing with him. So then Jesus goes on to talk about the importance of obedience to his teaching in verses 22 to 24. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So again, we're brought back to the important point that the Holy Spirit's work in our life is about making us obedient to Jesus, to the teaching of Jesus, making us more like Jesus. He's not fundamentally concerned with our experience, although that can be a real blessing, but it shouldn't be the cornerstone of our faith. 
we need to be committed to God's word and to obeying the teaching of Jesus. And I think we also need to note that uh, we shouldn't ever limit in our thinking and judgment the work of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to know God personally. You don't have to believe in Jesus personally to be a vehicle of use to the Holy Spirit. And I'm personally convinced that wherever we see things that are going on that are in harmony with God's will, that you can say are things that that God would want to happen, then that is evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit. So where we see injustice being corrected, where we see oppression being overthrown, where we see violence being replaced with peace, we can say, well, there the Holy Spirit is at work because these are things that reflect the heart of God, things that he wants for people that he has made in his image. But sadly, as we know from the daily news, our world is filled with those things, with violence, with oppression, with injustice, with poverty, with other things that grieve the heart of God. But we can work with anyone of good heart who wants to work against those things, who wants to bring a restoration of justice, an end to oppression, a relief of poverty, to bring healing for sickness, and so on. These are all ways in which Jesus' teaching can be obeyed. And we shouldn't limit our thinking and our definitions to just what we see happening in the church because the Spirit fills the world, broods over the whole world, and is able to use the heart of anyone who is willing to do what Jesus has asked, whether or not they are conscious of that at the time. So then Jesus goes on further to say, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Verses 25 and 26. But the counselor, is that word again, helper, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So this is about the Spirit helping us to understand Scripture, to understand God's Word, to understand what His purposes are in whatever particular time, culture, and society we happen to be living. Because it's necessary always for each generation of Christians for us to be able to respond appropriately to the needs and problems and issues of our society. We can't rely on what happened in the past and what the church did in the past, and maybe how scripture was interpreted in the past. We can learn from that, yes, and we need not to throw out helpful traditions and helpful understandings. But for each generation of believers, and for each of us as individuals perhaps, as far as our own lives are concerned, we need to know from God what it is he requires us to do in the situation that we face in our work, in our family, in whatever it is that we're doing. And that's where the Holy Spirit helps us. He helps us to understand the word and to apply it appropriately and correctly to our lives. And John expands on this a little bit in the next chapter, 
uh, <clears throat> next, uh, chapter 16, a couple of pages over in the Bible, uh, in verses 5 to 11, he's continuing to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. He says, Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you asked me where are you going. Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counsellor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And here we are. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So what Jesus is doing there is, in a sense, summarizing God's story, the perspective that we need to have uh, to really understand the world in which we live. And to do that, we have to know what God's story is and align ourselves with it. So he says, when he comes, the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of guilt uh, in regard to sin. Uh, In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. So Jesus is talking to the Jews of his time who rejected him. They didn't believe that he was the Messiah. Um, So that, in a sense, is what he's meaning by their sin, because they refuse to believe in him. But we can apply that more generally to the world at large and say what, that, well, really there's, there is God's story or there's the story we choose to adopt for ourselves. And in the end, that's, that's the choice all of us face. Are we going to believe and align ourselves with God's story, which is told by Jesus, or are we going to follow our own way, whatever that might be, and just stick to our own story? Um, so in regard to guilt because men did not believe in me in regard to righteousness because I'm going to the Father so he's referring there to his ascension and resurrection that although the Jews didn't believe that he was the Messiah he demonstrated by rising from the dead and then ascending to heaven that he was, in fact, the righteous one. Otherwise, God would not have raised him from the dead. So that's what he's referring to there. And then, uh, in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So he's talking there about what we may traditionally call the devil, the forces of evil, the power of evil within the world that seems to be in control so often. But Jesus is saying, actually, he stands condemned. His, his downfall is finally assured because of Christ's resurrection. So that's God's story. Jesus is the Messiah. He's been raised from the dead, ascended into heaven. And the end of the devil is certain. This is the big story that God helps us to understand creation he made the world and us fall in our selfishness we rebelled against him the coming of jesus the incarnation christ came as the savior of all men 
to show us the way back to God, to be a sacrifice for our sins. And finally, consummation, there will be a day when Christ returns and when all the suffering, oppression, unfairness, injustice is wiped away forever. And it's helpful, I think, to think of judgment in that way. It's not just about punishment for sins and the overthrow of evil, though it does involve that. But Jesus really so often talks about judgment in a sort of restorative way. It's not about retribution. It's about restoration. It's about the correcting of wrongs, about the overthrowing of evil things, strongholds and powers that are working against what God wants for people in his world. So those things are all the things the Holy Spirit reveals to us and helps us to learn and to understand. This is the big story that God wants us to be on side with and his Spirit helps us understand that and find out what part we play, our own little lives, our own little situations. How do we contribute to that big story of God? And then finally, in verse 27, Jesus talks about the Spirit giving us peace and removing our fear. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Great words that have acted as comfort and reassurance for believers down the generations. It's important to understand what he's saying here. He's not saying... Come to me and all your troubles will disappear. He's not saying, if you're a Christian, you won't have any difficulties. No. But he's saying, whatever you may go through, whatever adverse circumstances you may face, whatever difficulties may confront you, whatever suffering you may experience in yourself or in your family, I will be with you. I will give you my peace. So you need not be afraid. And again, countless believers including, I know, many of you here, can testify to the reality of that truth. As we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts, as we trust in Jesus, even in the midst of pain and difficulty, he does give us his peace. He does take away our fear. So let's be thankful this morning for the Holy Spirit, the one who comes to us and makes real to us God in our hearts, in our inner beings. The one who helps us to be more like Jesus, helps us to bear fruit that is all of a positive nature. The one who works against oppression and injustice in the world and helps to show people the glory and wonder of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the coming, the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We pray you'd help each of us to have hearts that are open to you, hearts that are willing to follow wherever you will lead us, hearts that are desiring to be more like Jesus in our inner being, that we may show more of his love to our fallen and suffering world. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.